Welcome to day 260 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with Katie Kresge and Matthew Kresge. We continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Come to a wonderful section of the book of Matthew where Jesus is transfigured before uh, the eyes of Peter and James and John and what a wonderful vision they have of God's glory in the person of Christ. Uh, Before we read uh, any further, let's, as we always do, offer ourselves in this moment to the Lord. Uh, Matt, you mind leading us in yeah, prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the ability and, and the time to read through Matthew together as your body. Uh, we pray as we um, dive into Matthew 17 that, that we would behold um, Jesus in all of his glory and, and get to reflect on not just um, what what you've said, but who he is and, and what he's done and, and what you've said about him. Father, help us to um, to marvel, to worship, to be transformed um, Father, convict us of sin, comfort us in your grace, um, remind us of, of who you are and what you've done. Uh, Father, thank you for this time. Give us wisdom as we read. Uh, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Disciples asked them, Why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at the moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. Peter came to the house. Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children exempt, Jesus said to them. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. 
take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. And well, on a week after tax tax day, <laughs> uh, there's a hopeful hopeful little story about how you could pay your taxes <laughs> if, you, if you owe quite a lot. Uh, wonderful picture, you know, uh, of Jesus, you know, with Moses and, and Elijah, and of course, in that picture, you have you know the embodiment of uh, the law and the prophets, and, and of course, the new covenant and the person of Christ. And a wonderful ability of the disciples to see what is in store for them, the transformed, you know, glory of the Son and the Father, and of course the Son honoring the Father. So you have a lot of really nice images, you know, there like the cloud mm-hmm. descending on them, which usually is too in the Old Testament in order to conceal, you know, the glory of God, uh, here to reveal the glory of God. So fun passage all, all the way around. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that stand out as you guys read? I think. You know, going off what you were saying, you know, Matthew just writing primarily to a Jew- Jewish audience, you know, as he gets to this passage, and he's been concerned with the identity of Jesus. You know, who is Jesus? That's kind of been a theme over the last few chapters. You know, for him to to now, you know, give us this this portrait of Jesus, but not just you know, hey, a couple details here and there, but really pointing us back to these Old Testament images and, and even allusions to you know, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know, and and you have, you know, in Deuteronomy, when another prophet will come, you know, it's, yeah. listen to him. And so for a Jewish audience, reading this and hearing, you know, the bright cloud that covered them on the mountain, you know, the mountain, the place of revelation, these figures, you know, all pointing us to Jesus. It's as if Matthew is writing to that Jewish audience and to us and saying, I don't know how much clearer I can get. No. Listen to him. And of course, you know, reassurance for the disciples as well, because they are headed to Jerusalem, and they are deeply confused about the identity of the Messiah mm-hmm. as well. Uh, even though Jesus has given them, you know, clear, uh, you know, not clear hands, but you know, clear instruction that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer at the hands of men, and, and, and die. Uh, they're not quite prepared for that kind of Messiah, and so the revelation also would have would have been a comfort, you know, to them in that moment. And of course, you know, Peter is getting it. He's responding with, you know, let's celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles right here. I'll, <laughs> I'll set up three. And of course, he's, he's a little bit misinformed here. It's not like there are three great figures, uh, you know, present. There is, there is the Son. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, that's the beauty after, you know, the cloud disappears and they look up and they see only Jesus, which is what they should have seen, you know, mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And I, if I remember right, um, when we walked through, I, we walked through this the transfiguration, uh, us three, the last time we walked through a gospel, and I don't remember the the part about Elijah and John the Baptist being in that um, account, but this isn't really interesting to me, just um, that they're questioning about Elijah because they just saw him, <laughs> and and so they're wondering um, what that all meant, and I, I kind of love how how Jesus describes it. Um, and then they actually get it. They in verse thirteen, the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So I actually had a question um, when he's talking about that. He says Elijah's already come. They didn't recognize him. Let's see. Oh, to restore all things. Um, in what ways did John the Baptist kind of bring restoration? Do you think it was through calling people to repentance and baptism, and kind of that that image of baptism, or? Yeah, and uh, the overall image of that, you know, as the coming of Elijah to restore all things, 
uh, was not so much that Elijah would be the restorer mm-hmm. as he would be the signal that God is restoring. Mm-hmm. And so in the coming of John Baptist, you have you have that initial sense that God is coming in the person of Christ you know, to restore all things. And so with the ministry of Jesus, the restoration of all things you know, begins. Mm-hmm. It begins, of course, with a call to repentance and a call to receive the Messiah and to look to the one who is greater. Uh, where John said, I baptize you with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and with fire, both with you know judgment and the pouring out of God's presence on, on his people, mm-hmm. which, of course, the pouring out of the Spirit is the very beginning of that work of, you know, of restoration. So it's not Elijah that restores, it's Elijah that signals Points you know, the, coming, the coming restoration. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, I, you're oh, I was just going to say the, the story about the demon-possessed boy um, is so interesting to me, and I think, I think it's good to wrestle with um, that whole idea of when Jesus says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. I think growing up, I um, had this picture, like if I ask God and I believe that he can do it to move this mountain, he'll move it, and I, and I know he can, but... I think that it's helpful to understand why Jesus is saying this, um, that he's just saying, like, if you have as tiny faith in a big God, that he can do things that you could never imagine. Um, but I would love if y'all could, like, shed light on that. <laughs> well, no, I've heard, I've heard someone preach this one time and rebuke the fact that, like, they just had a little bit of faith, you know, and it was mm-hmm. like a, a rebuke of... You know, hey, you need you need to stop having you know such a small faith, and you need to to grow and strengthen your faith. And really, what Jesus is rebuking here is not their small faith. He's saying, if only you had a small faith. He's he's rebuking their faithlessness. And I I think you know, it's it's easy to kind of look and be like, why didn't the disciples get it? And and you miss the fact that you know we're we're a lot like the disciples. Often our our faith is at so little, it's faithlessness. You know, and and Jesus is saying, if only you had such a small faith, you would Mm -hmm. see great things happen. And of course, you have to you know, put that in context, you know, with verse seventeen, which seems so hard. You unbelieving and perverse yeah. generation, how long shall I put up with you? <laughs> and, and of course, you know, the very fact that we are in a fallen world where the enemy has, you know, such a deep stronghold in our life, and we should say that, uh, you know, every time someone goes into a seizure, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. the work of the demonic, but it is a sign of a fallen world, and it is a sign of. You know the enemies. You know the enemies hold on you know, hold on this world. Uh, so you have the the whole idea of you know, we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where there is a, a lack of faith. And Jesus says the answer to our brokenness is uh, the ability to trust God in big ways. So He's not, you know, giving people you know permission to move any mountains. Right. If, if mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. Uh, we would have all of Colorado's mountains right here outside yeah. of the city of Austin. <laughs> Uh, if we could only find someone with that big enough faith, you know, to do that. But what he's really talking about is the necessity of trust yeah. and dependence in God in order to see the purposes of God revealed. And of course, those are the way that we, you know, the temper of the whole idea of prayer. It's, you know, our prayer is not that we get what we want of God because we believe him so much. We get what we need from God because we trust him. Mm-hmm. You know so much, and so our faith has to be in accordance, you know, with His will and with yeah. His purposes. But uh, God, and it does make you at, you know, ask the question of how little of God's grace or how much of God's grace we 
don't experience because we're looking to ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, rather than mm-hmm. you know, rather than looking to Him. Mm-hmm. The temple tax uh, really got me when I was reading this passage before. Um, I was really unsure of what it was, but I looked it up and read a little bit about it. And it, it could be easy to assume that this tax is for the Roman government, but it's actually not. It's the tax that right. the, the temple in Jerusalem would um, take from, from Jews um, to help just the ma- maintain and sustain the temple itself. Um, and so Jesus talks about how in a kingdom, you know, the son or the king doesn't ask the sons, his own sons to pay tax, right? He asks the people um, of the kingdom to do it. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, we, we actually are free from having to pay this, um, but because we're children of God and I'm the son of man, <laughs> but, um, but we will. And so that's such an interesting passage um, that I don't remember reading before, which is kind of crazy because I know I have. But yeah, I, I keep bringing on bringing up passages that I want y'all to speak on because honestly, I don't fully like. I feel like I've started beginning to get part of it, but not like fully receiving yeah. like a conclusion from yeah, it. Yeah, so. but there's a you know a huge irony here because it's not uh, not simply the children of the king in this particular instances that are exempt from taxes, but the king himself. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has you know come into uh, you know has come into Jerusalem and has come into. The temple, and they're asking him, you know, the king, you mm-hmm. know, to pay taxes, and, and of course, what Jesus is talking about is a an entire shifting of the old order, uh, you know, from you know from a faith that is based on God's presence in the temple to a faith that is based on God's presence through Jesus Christ and is mediated to, you know, all of God's you know children through Him, and, and so He said, even though the things are changing. Uh, let, let's go ahead and pay the tax for now, just not to give them another thing to be upset about or be distracted about. And, and of course, how fun! I, I understand, you know, that this is you know, from different commentators, and you, you never can tell, especially from some of the older commentators. But this is not unusual that there are some fish, you know, bottom oh, feeders really? in Galilee, and, and this has happened before, where people do see shiny things, you know, <laughs> caught in their gills or their mouth, and kind of thing. But the the cool thing is the first fish you the first fish you cast, and of course the other cool thing is, uh, you know, Matthew tells us the first person to speak. It's not Peter coming to him and said, "God, they're, they're after us about the taxes." As soon as he comes in, Jesus already knows the conversation. Mm-hmm. He already has a solution. And, and again, there are many other ways, you know, that Jesus could have done this, but this is a way, you know, to build into, you know, Peter's Peter's faith and mm-hmm. Peter's confidence in who the Lord is. Mm-hmm. That's a great passage all around. And yeah, we talk a lot here. We like biblical theology and understanding the the Old Testament and, you know, how the New Testament picks up on these themes and images and, you know, carries those forward. You know, R.T. France has a really fun observation in this passage where he, he notes, you know, that the so disciples R.T. France on this passage, huh? Oh, yeah, I love Way R.T. To go. France. Yeah. If you're looking for a good commentary on Matthew, R.T. France, he's got a small one or too. Or anything that he's written. Yeah. But he, he notes that when the disciples go up the mountain, you know, and you have this moment that kind of mirrors, you know, the Old Testament and Moses going up the mountain with Jesus or, yeah. you know, and Jesus goes up with the disciples, Moses goes up the mountain. You know, you have this great revelation where the, the glory of God's, you know, on the mountain. And then when Moses comes down, he finds an unbelieving and perverse, perverse generation. And he's yeah. going to go on to use pretty much that same phrase that Jesus used. You know, that, that phrase is going to be picked up in Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah. And when Jesus comes mm-hmm. down the mountain, you know, and here he, again, you're still finding this unbelieving and perverse generation. But the call then is, 
you know, what exactly what you said, you know, wh- who are you going to trust? What are you going to trust? You know, where is your trust? And, and so the, the call, you know, now when you see this passage. And, of course, there's a contrast between those who are worshiping the golden calf. And these are apparently are not idolaters, but you have the same effect. You know, there are people that are looking, you know, looking in every direction they should except for to God and yeah. for his coming, mm-hmm. his coming kingdom. And that's in that, you know, in that context. Really nice, and and you have to you know uh, like even the prediction of Jesus' death, where the disciples, the first time they hear it, they are in denial, and now they're they're in grief. They're they're understanding that something heavy is about to happen, and it's foreboding uh, as we move forward. Uh, but it's been a, a fun foray in answering all of Katie's questions about <laughs> passages she's <laughs> discovering anew for the first time. So, Katie, why don't you close this with a word of prayer? Sounds good. Father, thank you for this time together in your word. And um, thank you that that when we do have questions, um, that you provide answers, that you are a God that we can't fully wrap our minds around, but you have provided ways to know you and learn more and more about you um, and grow closer to you. And that it's not just a bunch of head knowledge, but that truly your spirit um, moves it to our hearts and moves it to our hands and, and calls us to uh, live lives of obedience, live lives um, where we are humbly serving the world that we are in, that you've placed us in. So we ask that you would do that and um, help us to trust in you um, and have faith that you are the God that you say you are um, and that you are sustaining us and, and restoring all things Um, And we are a part of a wonderful, beautiful kingdom um, that you've established. So thank you for this truth. And thank you that we can hold on to you as you hold on to us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.